0: If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 11. Once again, we'll be in Luke 11 and we will begin in verse 29, Luke chapter 11 and verse 29, and we're going to read down to verse 36. Um, And today we're going to look at the sign of Jonah, the sign of Jonah. Now, if you were here last week, um, you might remember that I was out due to COVID related things. Um, but Brother Bob Holman was here, and he filled in for me and, uh, and, and preached about Jonah. Preached the whole book of Jonah is what I understand and kind of gave a, an overview of the whole thing. So hopefully you're familiar with the story of Jonah anyway, but hopefully if you were here last time, this will be something that is fresh on your mind. Um, but we're going to look at the sign of Jonah, and of course you, you're familiar with his reluctant ministry. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites. Uh, God told him to go, and and he resisted. But God got him there anyhow. And you remember that whole uh, that whole thing, and and just kind of where we pick up in our text today. It's been like a month since we were here and looked at this. So just to kind of remind you where we are, Luke chapter eleven, verse one. Lord teaches to pray. He gave kind of the the a model prayer, you might say, uh, the Lord's prayer. Uh, some folks call it. And then after that, um, he he does these miracles, and and the last one that we looked at. He was surrounded by crowds, he cast out a demon, and the the man that he cast the demon out of, uh, whenever this demon left him, he got his ability to speak and see back. And so he did that, Uh, the crowds were amazed, but some of them began to accuse Jesus of being in league with the devil. Remember, they said he's he's casting out uh, demons by the power of Beelzebul, uh, the prince of demons. And and Luke doesn't tell us who it is that says that, but Matthew does. He says it's the Pharisees that are saying that. So Jesus does this miraculous thing. The Pharisees say the worst possible thing about him, and that is they attribute the works of God to the works of the devil. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus answers that, that false, slanderous accusation, and and then there's a woman that cries out and and and, and starts giving uh, Mary, some, some undue attention. Jesus redirects her and says, no, the, the, the main thing isn't to be related to me physically, but to be related to me by faith and, 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 and have that relationship with me in that way. And so Jesus then, uh, answers these people because some of them accuse him of being in league with the devil, but also some of them demanded a sign. And so Jesus responds to them in this text that we're going to look at today. Now, um, if you found Luke chapter 11 verse 26 let's go ahead or sorry verse 29 let's go ahead and stand together in honor of God's word and read down to verse 36 <clears throat> a bug on me okay well you know it's always something i had i had flies by, dive bombing me a, a few weeks ago and it was it was always something anyway verse 29. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. And, for, and just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at, at the judgment, and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here." The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they re- they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket but on the lampstand so that those who, who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Then watch out that the light... In you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined, as when a lamp illumines you with its rays. Think you may be seated. All right, well, there are three things I want you to see in our text today. The first is the sign of Christ. The sign of Christ. If you look at verse 29, it starts out with the crowds. Now, the Bible says the crowds were increasing. Jesus is already surrounded by crowds, not just a crowd, but multiple crowds. People just keep coming to him. They keep flooding to him uh, to see what he's doing, to hear what he's teaching. Uh, The the crowds are mentioned first in verse 14 and and following But he's surrounded by this massive throng of people, probably hundreds, possibly thousands of people are there to see and to hear what he's doing. Some of them are there for the right reasons. Um, Thank you. Some of them are there for the right reasons. They're there to to, to maybe get a healing from Christ. They're there to hear the teaching that he's giving. Um, Some of them are there just for the spectacle you know, anytime, I mean, even the circus gets people to come out, and and so they 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 see that people are going out. They're wanting to to hear what is is being taught, and and, and just to see the, the the miraculous. They want to see the spectacle of somebody who's who's blind and now they can see, and so forth. Uh, the people are there for all kinds of reasons, but all these people are surrounding Jesus, and so uh, these he he has all these people, and he does not give a seeker sensitive message. Now he doesn't say. God has a a best plan for your life. He wants you to be happy and prosperous. He wants you to have money in the bank. He wants you to be a good husband and a good wife and a good child, a good parent. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, if you look at verse 29, he hits them right between the eyes and he says, this generation is a wicked generation. He tells them that they are wicked. And evidence of this is that they seek for a sign. Now, I just want to pull the car over and park here for a minute because this is very important what he says. He says, you are a wicked generation. You're seeking for a sign. Now, there are people in the crowd who are demanding a sign from heaven. And he knows this demand. But I just want you to think of the utter stupidity of the request. Because what do you think they've been seeing? Jesus is performing miracles. He's, he, he, I mean, here are these people who are seeing Jesus speak to a man who is demon-possessed. He casts out the demon... And all of a sudden the man can see the man can speak you have men that are you know a man with a withered hand may, probably was in a, some sort of a, a construction accident or something like that he has a damaged hand and, and Jesus heals the man you have a man who's, who's born blind you have people who are lame that you have paralyzed people who re, regain their motion you have people that can't speak or hear or see and all of a sudden Jesus Jesus does his work and the deaf can hear, the blind can see. I mean, it's, it's incredible stuff. Jesus is doing this miraculous stuff and these people are blind to what's going on in front of them. This, these are attesting miracles. They are miraculous acts where God intervenes in history. He overrides the natural course of nature and performs a miracle and these attest to who Jesus is. In other words, these are the things that people are requesting, and yet they still demand more. And I, I think this teaches us a truth. This, this, this is not a new truth, but, but it highlights this. <coughs> Excuse me. Hard hearts are blind to the truth. Hard hearts are blind to the truth. Now, sometimes we wonder what it would take for a loved one or a friend or a co-worker respond positively to the gospel and we say well and and these these are maybe not things that we say out loud but we think in in our in our minds or maybe we we ponder them in our heart we say well i wonder what it would get what it would take to get so-and-so to say yes to jesus maybe if i just if i had the right arguments when we got in this discussion maybe if i just had more persuasive speech maybe if i had a bigger vocabulary and i could explain things better Maybe if I had a better grasp on things myself. Maybe if, I, if I could get them away from all their friends that are naysayers. Maybe, and we just come up with all these, all these things in our minds. What would it take to get somebody to respond positively to Jesus? And I will tell you what it will take. It will take the Holy Spirit softening their heart and drawing them to Christ. That is the only way that somebody's going to respond to Christ, because the Bible says these things are spiritually discerned. <clears throat> It's not, now, it's not wrong to be upset if somebody doesn't respond positively to the gospel. It's not wrong to be sad if if a friend or a loved one says no to Christ. If we love them, that should make us sad. If we care for them, it should grieve us. But I want to highlight this. You are not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. We cannot change a heart. Only God can change a heart, and it is a sovereign act of His will that brings that about. And hi- Jesus highlights this fact and this whole, this, whole, this whole interaction highlights the fact that Jesus himself can give a gospel presentation. Jesus himself could stand behind this pulpit, this lectern, open the scriptures, and preach, and people still would not necessarily respond positively to the message. He was on earth for many years, and he spoke, and he preached, and he taught, and not everybody responded positively. Not everybody accepted him. Hard hearts are blind to the truth. And and there's an old saying that I think is is pertinent here. There's none so blind as who? Those who will not see. And these people refused to see. They had the, the signs in front of them, but they wouldn't see, and they demanded a sign. And Jesus tells them, yeah, you'll get a sign. <coughs> Your demand for a sign is straight up wickedness, but you'll get a sign. And here's the sign. It's not going to be miraculous healings. It's not going to be uh, doing this or that. It's not going to make it be you know the, the, the lame leaping like a deer none of that he's not a, he's not a circus class he's not a magician he's not a, a genie you don't, give him, you don't give him a wish or a command and he does it now Jesus says here's the sign that you'll get now he does continue to perform miracles but not because he's wanting to prove anything to them it's an act of mercy to the people that he's doing them to here's what he says he says you'll get a sign you'll get the sign of Jonah the sign of Jonah, verse 29. Now, he says, the, You'll get the sign of Jonah, and he goes on to say, You'll get the sign of the Son of Man. That's his favorite designation of himself. He says, Just like Jonah was assigned to the, to the Ninevites, the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. In other words, my ministry, Jesus says, is self authenticating. I don't need to appeal to an outside <laughs> sign. I don't need to appeal to something bigger and greater and, and stronger to validate my message. It's self-evident in his teaching and preaching that he, he's came from, that he has come from God. Now, because of our wickedness and our weakness of faith, he did do those attesting miracles. But he, he didn't have to have those things. He could have just straight up taught and that was it. He said, I will give you a sign, the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah. Well, there have been all kinds of suggestions about his appearance because, you know, he was in the belly of the fish. And they, some people say, well, you know, he, he was in that, that acid, and it's likely he came out and he was bright white from, from the, you know, being bleached, basically. And some people say, no, it was, it was the fact that he, he preached and people repented. And that fact, the fact that he preached and people turned to God, that was, that was the sign that he came from God. That's what I was speaking about. But Matthew 12, 39, and 40, Jesus himself tells us what the sign is. (coughs) It's a parallel passage, so you're going to recognize the language. Matthew 12, 39, and 40. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, and he was seemingly dead, and he came out alive. That pointed ahead to a greater fulfillment. Jesus was in the heart of the earth. That's, now he wasn't. It's not talking about the center of the earth. That's an idiom they use in that language to speak of being in something. He was in the earth. He was buried. And after three days, he came out again alive. So these people demand a sign from Jesus, and they say, we want a sign that you are from God. He says, I'll show you that I've come down from God when I come out of the tomb. When I come out of the grave, that will attest that I am who I say that I am. That is the ultimate proof, the ultimate sign that Jesus was, who he said that he was. It's found in the resurrection. Now listen, the resurrection is the linchpin of Christianity. Without the resurrection, we don't have a faith. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that if, if Christ was not raised, we're dead in our sins. We're still in our sins. And those who have died in the Lord, they've perished. And, 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 and so our faith rises and falls on this element of the faith. Jesus rose again. He is alive. And and, and so these people, they, they, did, they hadn't seen it yet, but they would soon see Jesus wasn't in the grave anymore. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He overcame those things. He defeated the devil. He, he made the, the, the valley of the shadow of death simply a pathway to heaven. Jesus is alive. He rose again. He was crucified, but he's alive forevermore. That's the sign they got, and that's the sign that we have. There, there, there's no greater truth. There's no greater evidence that Jesus was who he said that he was than the fact that he conquered the grave. And just as Jonah came, came, became a sign to the Ninevites, Jesus became a sign to that generation and to us when he came out of the grave victorious and conquering and, and, and the king of all creation. He himself was the sign. Now before we move on, I, I want to ask you a question of application. How have you responded to that sign? Have you personally believed on the Lord Jesus? Not not have your parents, not have your friends, not have a, 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 a co-worker or an associate or whoever it is. Have you personally put your faith in Christ? Has there ever been a point in time in your life when you've trusted Christ for salvation? Because if you haven't, the Bible says you stand condemned already because you've not believed on the only begotten Son. What has your response to that sign been? Is it hard-hearted rejection like these people? Or has it been wholehearted faith that, that trust Christ for their eternal salvation? And right now, right where you are, if you'll put your faith in Christ, you will experience the forgiveness of sins. You, you don't have to do it at the altar. It's great if you do. But you don't have to. You can do it right where you sit. There may be somebody watching online. Right where you are, you can, you can put your faith in Christ and be saved. In fact, if you've never done that, I call on you today to do that. Put your faith in Christ and experience the, the, the forgiveness that only he can provide. So we've seen the sign of Christ. Next, I want you to see the superiority of Christ. Look again at verses 31 and 32. He gives two examples of his superiority. And, and thus, the greater condemnation of these crowds that, that, that heard what he was saying, that saw the acts that he was doing and rejected him. The first example he gives is the queen of the south verse 31. Now what he's talking about is in 1st Kings chapter 10, you remember Solomon, he he was a he was a smart guy, was the wisest man who ever lived apart from Christ. God gave him supernatural uh, wisdom. You remember the whole uh, who whose baby is it cut it in two give it to the two women, you remember that whole I mean he, he was a, he was a sharp guy, book of Proverbs most of them written by him. 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of Sheba came because she had heard of the famous Solomon, and she came with some with some tough questions. And I just I just wonder myself. This is just an aside, but I wonder because the Bible says she came with with difficult questions for him. I wonder what kind of questions she came with. You ever wonder? I mean, I I don't know. Maybe maybe she said, "Hey, can you explain a woman's mind to me?" I don't I don't think even Solomon could do that one. But she came with difficult questions. And, and the Bible says that something greater than Solomon was there before him. And then he talks about in, in verse 32 a second example, and that's the Ninevites keeping in, in line with, with Jonah. And, and Jonah, you remember, came preaching a single message. And if you'll look at the message that Jonah preached, he had one sermon. He was a one-trick pony. His message was simple. In 40 days, God's going to overthrow the city. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God will forgive you. If you'll turn, you can escape the, the wrath to come. He doesn't say any of that. He says, 40 days, you're getting it. And I think probably in the back of his mind, he's silently saying, and I'm going to be up there watching... I like I don't like you guys, can't stand you. I'll be glad to see God wipe you off the face of the earth. Forty days, that's it. Forty days, it's coming. There's no discussion of of any of that. No call to repentance. No attesting miracles. Nothing. Just a message of God's impending judgment. And the people heard the message, and from the king all the way down to the animals, they're in sackcloth and ashes. They even put stuff on the animals. Because they they wanted to make sure that God understood that they really were contrite. And Jesus says something greater than Jonah's here. What on earth is Jesus teaching them when he tells them this? Well, Jesus is showing them the crowds that were hearing him, the crowds that were seeing him. You have a greater condemnation because you've had greater light shone upon you. Because this queen of the south, she heard about man's wisdom. Now it came ultimately from God, but it was ultimately, but, but, it, but it was a wisdom. It, it was man's wisdom. And she heard what was, what was being taught and what was happening and these, these amazing things that were coming out of his mouth. And so she came at a great distance, at great cost, at peril to her own life because let's face it, I mean, danger, uh, travel can be dangerous today and especially was back in those days. And she did all that simply to hear the wisdom of a man. And the Ninevites, they didn't have the miracles. They didn't have the full message. They, had, they didn't have a bunch of sermons. They had one sermon. And it was preached. And I, I can just see, in my, and I don't know if this is the way Jonah did it, but it, I can just see him just walking down the main street and just preaching as he went, and that was about it. He didn't sit up. He didn't have a tent revival. He didn't go into the synagogues. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just walked and preached. And they repented in a sackcloth and ashes. No miracles, no nothing. No healings, no exorcisms. Just a simple message and they responded as they should. And yet here are these people who have Jesus, who's not just walking through town giving one message. He's preaching over and over and over again through a, a, a number of years. He gives them many messages. He performs many miracles. He preaches. He teaches. He doesn't do it through gritted teeth. He shows compassion. He calls them to repentance. He does all this stuff, all these good things. And despite that, the people are rejecting him. So here are these people who don't know God. They don't have the scriptures. They're, they're responding to much less light the way they should. And, and the crowds that are around Christ, on the other hand, have the scriptures before them. And they have Jesus before them. And they don't respond the way that they should. And the lesson that Jesus is drawing is that these people from the past will stand up. That's what, that's what witnesses did in a courtroom. When they would give testimony, they would stand up. He says these people that were pagans, these people that didn't, know, didn't have the scriptures, didn't have all this, had much less light and respond as they should, they will stand up at the judgment and give testimony because you have so much and still turn your back on me. He says, they'll stand up and they'll condemn you. Why? Because they'd responded positively when they had much less light. And these people that had Jesus in front of them had a great deal of light. And as you consider that, the amount of light directly correlates to the amount of condemnation or the amount of responsibility a person has. I just want you to think about where we are. We sit on the we sit on the buckle of the Bible Belt. The only thing that we have more I, I'm not sure. I, I would be interested if we had more banks, Chinese restaurants, or churches, because we have a lot of those three things. Banks and churches. Well, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where all the money's going or where it's all coming from. We got banks to catch it all. But we got, a, we got a church on every corner. And sometimes we may have one on this side of the corner and one on that side of the corner. I mean, we got them all over the place. And while there are a lot of lousy churches out there, there are a lot of churches that preach the Bible. There are a lot of them that, that, that the men stand in the pulpit week in and week out and, and open the scriptures and they preach. And we, these things are available online online. These things are available on CD, in on, video. I mean, we, we, have, we have so much light. Therefore, how much more responsibility do we have to respond positively to Christ? So we've seen, we've seen the sign of Christ. We've seen the superiority of Christ. Last, I want you to see the sufficiency of Christ's revelation. In verses 33 to 36, Jesus ends with a little parable. Actually, it's really two parables but they're they're connected and linked together. And he uses imagery that he uses elsewhere, but he he, he applies it differently uh, here. First, the first little parable, it's only one verse long, he says, nobody takes a lamp, and this is my paraphrase, nobody takes a lamp and hides it. Nobody you know, lights a lamp and then puts it under a bushel or, or something like that, uh, but instead you put it up on a lampstand so everybody can see. And that makes sense. That's, that's the whole purpose of light, is to give light to, to those who need it. And what he's saying here is his ministry is that, is that light. He's not doing these things in some remote corner of the world that's not going to be, benefit anybody. It's out there. It's plain. It's obvious people. Crowds are able to come and see this. He's shedding light on others via his ministry. And so the second little parable that he tells hangs with it. And he talks about our response to that light. And he warns the people and he warns us to be careful how they see. Now, we've, we've read other texts where he warns people about being careful how, how they hear. Here he talks about being careful how we see. And, and what he's saying is, what is your response to the light going to be? If you respond positively to the light, your lives are going to be filled with the light of Christ. It's going to bathe every part. It's like turn on a floodlight in a room. But if you reject that light, your your whole body, your whole life is going to be filled with darkness. Now many years ago I read a quote, I don't know where I read it, it was in preparation for a a sermon. I remember that much. But the, the author said something to the effect of, Light obeyed bringeth more light, light rejected bringeth night. Light obeyed bringeth more light, light rejected bringeth night. And and that that stuck with me, because so many people have had the light of the gospel, they've heard the messages, they've read the Bible, they've been they've been to church, they've done all these things, and they have the light, and they reject it, and it brings night, a night of the soul. And Jesus gave them, and He gives, He's given to us a sufficient revelation of Himself. He has shown us the Father in His ministry. And the question that we have to answer is, how are we going to respond to the light that we've been given? Now, not all of us have the same amount of light. Some of us, maybe we didn't grow up in church, but we've been to church several times. We started coming here, whatever it was. Others of us, I mean, like me, I was, I was at church in utero. I mean, my, my parents went to church. I grew up in church. I've, I've been in church my whole life, and many of you are in that same boat. We've had a lot of light. We've heard the gospel preached. We've heard the Bible taught. We grew up in a Christian home. We've all had some amount of light. And with that light comes responsibility. And you and I are held to a higher standard than somebody that doesn't know the truth. And listen, when we do things that we know better than to do, that's that's serious. And we all do it, we all fail, we all sin. And the Bible doesn't say, oh, shucks, you tried your best, buddy. Now the Bible says that's serious. And when we fail and when we sin, that's what Jesus went to the cross for. But the Bible does go on to say that John in 1 John says, I've written these things that you might not sin. But it, when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he goes on to say that, that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it may be that that this week, the last couple of weeks, last couple of years, you've gotten off into some some sin. Listen, I'm not going to downplay you, that's serious, but it's not outside the realm of God's forgiveness. That's what Jesus went to the cross for. He went to the cross. He died. He, he took the sins of His people and, and bore them in His body on the tree. And if we will confess those sins, our our relationship with God will be restored if, if we're a Christian. And He can He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll put us back into service. I mean you think about Peter. He denied even knowing Jesus. And yet God used him on the day of Pentecost. But it could be that you are are, are, are here, and I don't know anybody's hearts. It could be that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. It could be that you've had the light of the gospel, you've heard the, the message preached, but you've never responded positively. I'm going I'm, I'm to tell you one more time. You are a sinner. That means that God has a perfect standard. He says, do certain things and don't do other certain things. He says, love your neighbors as yourself, love me supremely, not me, Jeff. He says, love God supremely with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. None of us can do that. None of us loves our our neighbor perfectly. So there are things that we leave undone. Sins of omission. He says there are certain things don't do. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. That, That includes even in the heart. Don't have lust for somebody. and and when we break those things those are sins of commission we have committed sin we have broken God's law we have transgressed his commandment we have stepped over the line we have missed the mark we have fallen short all those are are images the Bible uses of this perfect standard that God has and where we are you say well I can do it in my own effort yeah about like you can throw a rock and hit the sun it ain't happening you're going to fall short you don't have the strength you don't have the ability A person will say, well, I believe that's true, but you know what, I'll I'll just respond on my time, on my terms, whenever I get around to it. No, you won't. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father. No one can come to the Father, except He's drawn by the Spirit. You'll come whenever God calls you, whenever He draws you, or you won't come. There's no second chance after death. At the point of death, your choice in life is ratified. You will either go to heaven or you will go to hell. But the Bible says that while it is still called today, don't harden your heart. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next Sunday, not in a month, not when things slow down, not when life gets a little bit better. Today is the day of salvation. Therefore, while it's still called today, put your faith in Christ want you to stand with me as a musician comes, and as you stand ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you what the condition of your heart is. Are you right with God today? Have you ever put your faith in Christ? Say, Pastor, I've done that. What's your relationship with Him like? where you're supposed to be, where you need to be, where you used to be. Heavenly Father, we are so richly blessed with the amount of life that you've given us. We can come here and worship you freely. We have a copy of the Bible on our phones on our tablets on computers uh, in, in a bound book form we just we just are so richly blessed we can we have access free and open access to to preaching and teaching we can get Bible studies we can participate in Bible studies we just have so much light and we're so thankful for that God, at the same time, we realize that comes with great responsibility. And Lord, I ask that you would help each of us. Lord, I pray that you keep us from sin. And Lord, I pray that even when we do sin, and we we all do, God, I pray that you would help us to, to seek that forgiveness that uh, restoration of relationship. And God, for the person who's never accepted Christ, I ask that you would draw them, help them to see the sinfulness of their sin and the glory of Christ and turn to him in faith. God, again, I thank you for each one that's here. I pray for each one in the needs that they have. In Jesus' name. Amen.